1: It's the end of my week, but uh, that does not mean I will be taking my foot off the gas pedal in the least for the next four hours. Prepare yourself for an intellectual, emotional, entertaining, and psychological journey, the likes of which you could not hear anywhere else on the radio, but we will begin this program. As we do our last show of the week, by the way, coming up uh, next hour, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., independent candidate for president, we're going to talk to him about a wide variety of issues. What's happening in the United States? What's happening with his campaign? What's happening in the Middle East? We're going to touch upon a wide variety. Stay tuned for that. But first,
0: the other side of midnight proudly presents: Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything.
1: That's right. This is your opportunity. Rather than allow me to control the content for the other 19 hours of the week, this is your opportunity to ask a question about anything you like. Just dial in at 800-848-9222 and whoever has the best question will get, are you ready for this, a brand new Other Side of Midnight Magnet. Now, someone who told me he is in the market for just such a magnet is veteran broadcast journalist known uh, not only around the New York region, but around the country. My colleague at WABC in New York, Dominic Carter. Hey, Dominic. Good morning. It's nice to be
2: here with you. Thanks for
1: sticking around.
2: Of course. You know, I listen to you all the time, Frank. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether you're listening now from Detroit, you're in Detroit, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, AM 910, the super station. That, oh, that's right. That's right. You're on a lot of cities, a lot of states across the country right now. And I listen to the Ask Frank segment, right? right? And I said, you know, one day I want to be part of that because I've heard her. people call And ask you what type of underwear you... And you answered. (laughs) And you answered.
1: I do my best. I
2: I would never. I would never.
1: So you're not launching Ask Dominic anything anytime soon. No,
2: because I, you know, I've, I've... I've witnessed people ask you some uh, some doozies. Uh, th- and, that's for sure. And and I, I've thought of one. My, you and I, we spend a lot of time together. Be- Absolutely. Be- before so, your one show. of the highlights of my days, sincerely. And so, and so, you know, when when we both arrive at work, we spend, what, two hours minimum right. uh, preparing with each other. And we talk about families. Right. We talk about the good times. Complain the bad about times, all our colleagues. Right. complaints and so on. So I when you start the segment, I got a question for you. I'm
1: ready. Okay. You're ready. I'm ready. You're ready. I'm ready. Sure? Is he eligible for the prize, Tony? Okay, okay, he is. All now,
2: right. now, you 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 promise you won't get uh, pissed off at me? No, no.
1: Come on, come on. We 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 go back. Uh, I think 25 years. Yeah, we, we do. We, come on, right?
2: That that's why I'm a little worried. Oh boy, that's why I'm a little nervous. It's a simple question, and it's really going to put you on the spot. I'm ready. right, mm-hmm. but but it's one. It's a question that could get both of us fired. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, maybe I'm not ready for this question after all. I don't know whose idea it was. After you stick around, I don't get this guy out of here. All right, I'm ready. So,
2: so here's the question.
1: You ready? Yes.
2: I feel almost like Muhammad Ali and Howard Cosell. Which one are you? I, I, I guess I'm the Howard Cosell. <laughs> you're, right? you're the Howard Cosell? Yeah, I think I'd take you in Howard, a fight over me. Howard, what would we say? Howard, take that wig. I'm going to knock that <laughs> wig off your head, Howard.
1: Cassius, focus on the task at hand, my friend.
2: <laughs> That's great. I didn't know you could do a Howard Kestel impersonation. (laughs) Neither did I. Notice notice I'm avoiding the question, right? (laughs) I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know I could do it. One one more time. Let's hear it.
1: Cassius, the (laughs) thing that you want to understand (laughs) for the weekend is that people are preparing for not one but two Titans of football to take the gridiron in a matchup that will lead inevitably to the game they call the Super Bowl. Every bit of delay and predilection between now and then is just procrastination. Procrastinate no more
2: and ask away. Oh, wow, Well, that's really good. Okay, so now let's hear your Muhammad Ali impersonation.
1: <laughs> I'm not Look, do that. You don't have you don't have one like I think that. I could only do Muhammad Ali post Parkinson's. Unfortunately, oh, yeah, where I he don't say mean, anything. Well,
2: yeah, I don't mean I don't mean. Parkinson's. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, I mean I, I mean Muhammad at his at his uh, at his height of his career. Yeah, I'm, I'll leave A that bit. to you.
1: I, you know, I, yeah, I, I'd have to. I'm uh, so, I'd have pretty. Pretty. so pretty. There you go. There I'm you go. so pretty. Were you an Ali fan? Yes. What was your favorite Ali I, I, fight? I, I, I'm going to I'm
2: gonna let <laughs> you in on something. Okay. I'm going to let you in on something. Every African-American male I in America. You know, we, we used to, in in the hood, in the Bronx of New York, we used to walk around singing this song, right? It would go like this. Muhammad, the Mah-ha- black Superman. Superman. That's what right. we would call Floats him. Floats like the, a right, butterfly. Right, 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 right. Right, yeah. So let's hear a little bit of Muhammad Ali yeah. before I get to the question. <laughs> A little bit, just a little bit.
1: I uh, let's see. I'd have to. Um, I'd have to think of. You know, he's he he's one of those guys. Unlike Cosell, who made the most, uh, uh, you know, random uh, quotes quotable. Even though if you read the text, they weren't quotable. Muhammad Ali actually had quotes, right? right. I mean, he had things that he clearly would would work on. Right? But I'm pissed off at you now. Oh boy. Because you never told me that
2: you could do a great Howie Cholcel. Yeah, i I never
1: tried until just a second ago.
2: Wow. Notice I'm still avoiding the question. <laughs> Notice that. Notice that.
1: So, so you backed <laughs> you backed Ali over George Foreman. I I
2: I, I think I I am being honest with you. Yeah. Um. Every African American child in America, when Muhammad fought, remember th- this was a time when you couldn't. You, you sometimes you would see a tape delay sure. right, or right, right, whatever, right. and it was always you were rooting for Muhammad Ali. I don't like the way he treated some of his opponents. Yeah. Well, once, I, uh, once I became a grown man, the way you know the way he disrespected them. Well, you
1: know, I mean, I think that Joe Frazier is probably the right, best example right. of that. But uh, you know, in some ways, it's a lot like Trump, and I don't mean to you know make the comparison because one was a boxer, one was a president. Hey, can I, I want to know what you yeah. would do with this situation? Okay, okay, I'm ready. This is a true story. Mm-hmm. The true story. Can you believe
2: Joe Frazier, before he died a few years ago, had the nerve to hit on my wife in front
1: of me? <laughs> Can you believe that? Uh, you know, based on everything I know about Joe Frazier, <laughs> I am not the least bit in surprised by that. of me. How did your wife react? I hope She's she didn't go going, home with him. No, I, of course
2: <clears> not. <throat> she, I, my initial reaction was, I'm going to slap this dude in the mouth. And, <laughs> then then was, right. and then I was right, and then I'm like, even uh, at 75, right. I'm like, <laughs> uh, to take a chance. That, that won't be a good idea. But you know, he just mildly flirted. And sure, of sure, she, sure, Okay. Of course, she loved loved every moment. A moment. Uh, Chris Tucker. Uh, when when we met him at at uh, one of the conventions, it was in Los Angeles. He was just nice to her. He didn't hit on her. But Joe Frazier. And then I'm like dilemma. What do you do if Joe Frazier hits on your wife? I, you got me. What did you do? What, what do you do when Joe Frazier pulls your wife? You know.
1: Yeah, I, I mean that's when you break into your Muhammad Ali impersonation. <laughs> you say everybody's flirting with Joe Frazier. Everybody's flirting with Joe Frazier wherever that's I go. Good. Convention after that's convention. Good. That's good.
2: So, so here's my question. I'm ready. Here's my question. Mm-hmm. It's a two part question. The hard part first. Okay. What is the worst thing about being on the radio? Seriously.
1: Um, well, for me and the way I do this show, and this is as honest as I can be in answering that question, um, because, I mean, you, you hear the show, at least, you know, the first hour or two as you're, you're driving home, um, you know how honest I am about everything. I'm honest yes. about my opinions. I'm honest. Yes. Management gets furious when people call in and say, "You know, why did you answer that right?" Right. Um, like, like when they ask you if you would hit on something, and you're like, "Yeah," you right, exactly. answer the question. Well, so that, I'm like,
2: and I'm like, never. I so, would never answer that question.
1: Well, so that, and that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, the level of honesty that I have on this show, it has gotten me in trouble so often. Okay. With it, professionally is one thing but it's such another thing for you to come home and your wife happens to hear, you know, that portion hey, of the show. Frank, I got <clears> to <throat> be
2: honest with you.
1: Rachel, she
2: she's a woman of tremendous class because some of the answers that you give you would get home with me, and your clothes would be on
1: the front <laughs> well, lawn. So, but I've not only—that's not only happened with my wife. It's happened with my mom. It's happened with uh, at least two of my siblings. It's happened with so many of my friends who hear the things that I say. Not just in this hour, but just throughout the show, because you get you get wrapped up, right? You get caught up. You get in the whirlwind, and then by the time the show was over, you think, "I can't believe <laughs> that you, I said that." And then, sure enough, <laughs> neither can they. <laughs> what do you mean you told? That story. Don't you realize? My wife didn't. I told one story, which I'm not going to repeat about Please my don't. wife. Uh, don't. She was furious with me for two or three days, and we had to go away for that weekend. So
2: you're telling me that the Howard Stern movie is accurate when when it, it, he gets into it with his wife because she's like why the hell would you
1: go on the radio and tell
2: those stories?
1: I, uh, as far as I'm concerned, 100%. I mean, I don't have Howard's height, his hair, and probably not his 500 million dollar paycheck, but other than that, we're practically kindred spirits. So the worst thing is that you're completely honest. And, and that gets me in trouble with the people that I share stories about. Absolutely. 100%. Okay,
2: so if you're going to ask the worst thing, then you have to also ask what's the best thing.
1: Well, honestly, and and this is why I, you know, over the years, over the last, you know, I think I've been in radio, you know, 21 years or so. And I've I've had opportunities to do other things, sometimes for a lot more money. But what keeps me wanting to do this, and I hope this is the job that I have for the rest of my life, sincerely, is that. And yeah, you um, say that. Uh, is that, and, and I say it off air even, mm-hmm. you is do. that there's a level of intimacy with this medium that is unlike anything else, right? People are listening to us right now as they're home in bed under the covers. They're listening to us right now as they're getting up to go to the bathroom because they have an overactive prostate. They're listening to us by themselves in their car as they're driving home from from. from a late shift at work or from a night out on the town. And to think that people actually welcome you to the moments that they would never even think of sharing with another person while they're under the covers, while they're in the bathroom, while they're driving home alone. I think it's a really special thing. And there's such a a level of intimacy with this that I don't think is present in television. I've done a little bit of television, not like you have, but whenever I've been on television overwhelmingly, people will say, hey, you know, that was a great tie you had, or, oh boy, you could really use a haircut, or, hey, you know, Frank, you look like you're getting a little heavy. Almost never do they respond to any of the things that I've said on television, sincerely. And this is, again, not having done as much TV as you. They don't. It's all about aesthetics. It's about look. It's about energy. It's about how I move my hands on radio Every bit of feedback and you don't like that. You well, like no. That. Well, I I would prefer to have a conversation about the things that I'm saying. And radio allows you to be heard, whereas television it just allows you to be seen. Well, it, 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 true story, true story. So you you're very
2: photogenic. I know you deny it and well, you self deprecating and so on. But, but you do national television. I've seen you several times. What's the uh, the new channel that I've seen you on quite a bit? Well, I've done News Nation a few News times. News Nation, right. yes, yes, yes. So, for example, over at CNN, um, you know, it's an illusion. I mean, you know that, Frank. It's an illusion that—so so every time I do CNN, you've got to get there three hours before your appearance. They have five to six makeup artists, right? Here's a test I have for the audience— Look at any woman on national television Mm. and her hair is perfect, generally. (laughs) And that's because they have like five to six makeup artists, three of which can do a woman's hair. And the women are there with curlers in their hair, getting their hair done before an appearance. Mm -hmm. And so every time you do television, Frank, right, (laughs) you got to... You, this is real. you got to pull out your best tie, your best suit, visine in the eyes, mouthwash, the whole routine. And then you go on air and you make it look like that's how you are every right, exactly.
1: single day. Exactly. I remember occasionally when you were doing uh, RNN, you were kind enough to invite me mm-hmm. on the program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would drive out there hours, sometimes an hour and a half, depending on traffic. And especially on the days when you weren't hosting the show where they'd have somebody else hosting. Basically, you know, you get there an hour before the show. You're driving an hour and a half there. An hour and a half back, you the, you stay on set for an hour, and then maybe you're talking for literally a cumulative total of six minutes throughout the hour, literally. Right. And I think, okay, right. well, I, this was just my entire evening right. to say six minutes worth of content while being interrupted right. by the other three people at the table. So to me, radio allows for actually some substantive discussion of that. Of, I know. I, I
2: know you gotta move on. You're gonna kick me out any second. You're gonna like the, at the Apollo. You're gonna give me the hook or something <laughs> like stick that. Stick around as long but, as you but, want. But but no 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 no. <laughs> but 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 Frank. So like true story, right? Uh, one time I did face the nation, mm-hmm. right? And it was on, and Bob Schieffer was the host of the show, and, and he's retired now. And it was with Caroline. It was about Caroline Kennedy. I remember right? that. Yeah. And so it was a blizzard, and so normally normally they will call and 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 send a car to come pick you up, right? And so my stupid self declined the car. Right. You know,
1: <laughs> I've done that too. <laughs> and You think you're going to score some points. It and, makes no and that's sense. That's what I thought. Yeah, and it was
2: a full blizzard. And in New York, we have this small uh, parkway, two lane. You know, the deers are out there. Trees fall sometimes. It's called the Palisades Parkway off the George Washington Bridge in New York, connecting New York and New Jersey. So it's about eight or nine inches of snow. And I'm not gonna dare cancel on Face the Nation. Right. So I'm driving nine and nine inches of snow. Highways are closed, 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 and I'm still trying to get from Rockland County, New York, to Midtown Manhattan to do Face the Nation. So I get there, the makeup, as I told you, your best suit, everything, and you're sitting there. But then I got nervous, right? I re- this is a true story. Sure. There was like an angel that appeared on one shoulder, shoulder, and the angel said. You got this. You can do this. Right? So now they're talking in my ear and they go, hi, Dominic. This is face the nation, Washington. Uh, Bob Schieffer will be talking to you in just a minute. And I'm like, "Uh Oh, I'm in the wrong. You know, I'm like, I'm like, I'm way in public school education. I'm like, I'm in way over my head. This black guy. I'm going to be talking about Caroline. True story. So the good angel says, you can do it. You can do it. The bad angel pops over on the other shoulder says, who are you kidding This is face the nation. You better get out of here before you embarrass yourself. And then all of a sudden, I hear Bob Schieffer, New York. Let's go to New York City where this man. And then he starts. And so I was nervous. I can't begin to. And the whole thing lasted for maybe three
1: minutes. Right. Exactly. (laughs) That's always what happens. That always what happens. I remember, you know, when when I started doing TV appearance, I did Fox a couple times. I used to do Nancy Grace's show every week. For some reason, the producers would ask me to send them answers to what what the yes. questions would it's called, be. It's called a pre-interview. I, it was for ridiculous, television. but no, but I'd have to write out yes. pages worth of questions, no. and I would sit and do research right. about all these things right. and find things supporting them. I'm saying. I'm spending a forty-five minutes answering these questions, and then I'm on for ninety seconds with well, see, Nancy the, Grace. The,
2: the good news is that I'm I'm so so far in my career that for the pre-interviews, I tell them, "Listen, you got five minutes, right? Gotcha. So, well, so you ask whatever you want to ask." At the end of this five minutes, I'm hanging up.
1: It's uh, The pre-interviews
2: it's, are tough so because they ask you everything. And ra- then you go on air, and it's only a five-minute interview.
1: Uh, radio is the,
2: is the medium for me. Thank you, my friend. Just, just one more Howard Cosell. Don't let you go. <laughs> one more Howard Cosell. I cannot believe all these years I've known you. You've never done. One more Howard Cosell. Come
1: on. Dominic, you need to get back to Rockland County. I highly doubt whether you have either the stamina or the wherewithal for a bout of this magnitude. That's good. It's been great to be here you, You too, me, my man. friend. I'll, I'll see you on Monday. Thank you. Uh, all right, we're going to continue with Ask Frank anything with people that are not named Dominic Carter. Uh, Eight hundred. If he calls in, don't let him on, Elias. 800-848-9222. We'll continue straight ahead. minutes after the hour this is the other side of midnight in about an hour we're going to talk with robert f kennedy jr uh find out what's happening with his campaign and in general with him uh we'll cover a wide variety of subjects but uh, for now we're taking your questions on any subject
0: the other side of midnight proudly presents Ask
1: Frank Ask Frank Anything Ask
0: Frank Anything Ask Frank Anything Ask Ask phone number
1: Anything 1-800-848-9222 Whoever comes up with the best question as judged by Tony Elias and Broadway Bill Lee who I understand got a new time slot over at CBS FM Congratulations to you, Bill. I hope that works out well for you. We'll be getting a uh, a prize at the end of the hour. Joe is in the Queens. Hi, Joe.
3: Yeah, hi, Frank. Two-part question. First is... uh You know, this idea of the press used to do exposés, the so-called media, Rolling Stone magazine. Now it seems like it's trending towards running cover or cover-ups. So I'd like to ask you about that as uh, you see things that way. And the other thing is the composite of the eligible bachelor. Has that changed from what would be traditionally seen from a woman's point of view as the eligible bachelor. Has that changed significantly?
1: I, 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 clarify for me a little bit more your the first part of your question. Um, I think I'm clear on the second part of your question. Clarify for me a bit more what you're asking a, as far right, as right. the okay. media. You,
3: you had Matt be writing for the Taiby, Rolling right. Yeah, a yeah, guy like that, all right? Now it seems like uh, 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 information is basically being excluded from the press or omitted and not dug up, as opposed to digging it up. They're going out of their way not to dig up information. Well,
1: look, I I think there are some good journalists out there, Joe. I think, uh, unfortunately, the corporate media has an agenda, right? And unfortunately, the, the corporate media... Rather than be an entity that tries to hold people in power accountable, and look, you see this with the fawning coverage that they give Nikki Haley, um, rather than hold people in power accountable, they try to cozy up to people in power and be their best buddy, right? Um the exception to that is the independent media and there's a reason I love highlighting the work of independent journalists and having so many independent journalists on this program Matt Taibbi is one, he has not come on this program but we talk about his work from time to time same thing can be said of Seymour Hersh Uh, but Lee Fong, who comes on this show regularly, Michael Tracy who comes on this show regularly, even folks that were formerly part of the corporate media and now are strictly independent like Judge Andrew Napolitano I think there's an incredible appetite for people that call balls and strikes when they're not being paid by a major corporation you know this is a long clip here i'm not going to play the whole thing but this is one of the better explanations i've ever heard and i don't care what you think about the person saying it but this is one of the better explanations i've ever heard about why People in the media, and it doesn't matter Republican or Democrat, if you're right-leaning establishment like the Wall Street Journal or left-leaning establishment like the New York Times, why people in the media really do whatever they can, for the most part, to protect those in power. And it has to do with the mindset of who gets hired by corporate media. This is Noam Chomsky in about 1996 talking with a BBC journalist by the name of Andrew Marr. And Chomsky's analysis is the most spot-on thing I've ever heard in terms of why the media more or less is is so lame. It's, it's a little long. I don't know if we're going to play the whole thing because we have a lot of people that want that have questions, but uh, I'm going to play a, a chunk of it here.
4: is a, a censoring organization. Um, tell me how that works. Is the, you're not suggesting that um, proprietors phone one another up or that many journalists get to their copy spiked, as we say. It's um, actually Orwell, <clears throat> you may recall, has an essay called Literary Censorship in England, which was supposed to be the introduction to Animal Farm, except that it never appeared, in which he points out, look, I'm writing about a totalitarian society, but in free, democratic England, it's not all that different. And then he says uh, uh, unpopular ideas can be silenced without any force, and then how, he, how he gives, two se- he gives a two-sentence response which is not very profound but captures it he says two reasons first the press is owned by wealthy men who have every interest in not having certain things appear but second the whole educational system from the beginning on through just ex- gets you to understand that there are certain things you just don't say well spelling these things out that's perfectly correct I mean there it's the first sentence is what we expand this on is this is what I don't get because it, it suggests that I mean I'm a joke would like me are self-censoring?
1: No, not right. self-censoring.
4: Uh, there's a filtering system that starts in kindergarten, and goes all the way through, uh, and it it's not done work 100 percent, but it's pretty effective. Uh, it selects for obedience and subordination, uh, and especially, I think. That's, so, so, so stroppy people won't make it. to Social be influence, behavior problems, or you know, if you read. Uh, applications to a graduate school. You see that people will tell you he's not, uh, he doesn't get along too well with his colleagues. You you know how to interpret those things. I'm just interested in this because I was brought up, like a lot of people, um, probably post-Watergate film and so on, to believe that journalism was a crusading uh, craft and that there were a lot of um, disputatious, stroppy, difficult people in journalism. And I have to say, I think I know some of them. Well, I know some of the best and best-known investigative reporters in the United States, I won't mention names, but whose attitude toward the media is much more cynical than mine. In fact, they regard the media as a sham, and they know and they consciously talk about how they try to play it like a violin. If they see a little opening, they'll try to squeeze something in that ordinarily wouldn't make it through. Uh, And it's perfectly true that the majority, I'm I'm sure you're speaking for the majority of journalists who are trained, have Driven into their heads that this is a crusading a pre- uh, profession, adversarial. We stand up against power. a Very self-serving view. Uh, on the other hand, in my opinion, I hate to make a value judgment, but the better journalists, and in fact the ones who are often regarded as the best journalists, have quite a different picture, and I think a very realistic one. How, how can you? How can you know that I'm self-censoring? How can you I know don't say that you're self-censoring? I'm sure you believe everything you're saying, but what I'm saying is, if you believe something different. You wouldn't be sitting where you're sitting.
1: I think that's exactly right. And I don't care whether you love Chomsky or you can't stand him. What he says there is right. What the corporate media has been conditioned to look for is people that nod like bobblehead dolls. People that reaffirm what those in power are saying, not those who challenge what those in power are saying. And it's a little bit more of a complicated Proposition that maybe we'll get into a little bit later, but I firmly believe that. As far as the uh, the prospect of an eligible bachelor, I'm not sure how it's changed, but they say that only 20% of eligible bachelors now are dateable to 80% of the population of women. And this has unfortunately gotten even worse because of online dating. And you know what, the number one thing, and this is not good for me if my wife ever throws me out, you know what, the number one thing. Women are looking for when it comes to a romantic partner. The number one thing is height. They want someone, overwhelmingly, who is taller than them. So that's the number one thing. Unfortunately for a lot of folks, the next thing is income. If you're not making over $100,000 a year, you are going to have a tough time getting selected by 80% of the women in the online dating pool. Then it goes to education and everything else. Height is unfortunately number one. I don't think that was the case 20 or 30 years ago. 800 848 Robert in Suffolk, what's your question?
3: Hi, Frank. Did you ever
1: meet your doppelganger? What was it like... No, I don't think I did. When I was um when I was in a baseball camp at Rich Martin's All Star Baseball Camp at Hofstra University, I met I had a baseball coach that was one of the coaches there whose name was Frank Kelleher, who people said uh, looked like me. He was actually a, a college baseball player with uh, Hofstra for a time, but no, I don't think we looked exceptionally alike. Uh, a lot of people said that uh, I looked like Joey D'Angelo, the fellow that drove the taxi cab in which Curtis Lewa was shot. Um, I could see that a little bit, but um, no, I never met anyone and said, oh boy, that person really looks like me. Because um, I did go see Lee Schreiber, who obviously a lot of people say looks like me in the play uh, talk radio, but I didn't get to meet him after the show. So we never ha- got to the chance to have a conversation about how alike the two of us look with one another. 800-848-9222, uh, Peter is in Harlem. Hello, Peter. Yes,
3: Frank, you know. When uh, Bloomberg was running for president, he went to a nursing home, and it was an older, you know, one of the older guys was a a former rag merchant. And he says to Mr. Bloomberg, he says, Mr. Bloomberg, you're a billionaire. And Bloomberg said, of course. He said, you must have hurt a lot of people to get to that point. My comment to you is,
1: what do you feel about that? What do I feel about that? Um, do I think you have to hurt people to be a billionaire? Yeah. No, no, I don't. I mean, look, I think if you look at so many of the people that are billionaires, so many of them are billionaires either because they came up with an inno- something new, an innovative way of doing things. I'm thinking of people like Sam Walton. I'm thinking of people like Steve Jobs. I'm thinking of people like Sir Richard Branson. I'm thinking of people like Mike Bloomberg. Or uh, because they inherited their wealth. Right. And certainly if you inherited uh, millions of dollars and you turned it into billions, you know, you didn't necessarily hurt anyone. And I'll tell you, I work for a billionaire, John Katsimatidis, who uh, was a star in five different businesses And as I've, you know, as at least from what I've seen, I don't think there's any record of him hurting anyone. But no, I think if you look down the list, Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Ellison, um, all these folks, I don't think there's anybody. I don't want to say there's nobody. I'm sure a lot of billionaires did take advantage of a lot of people. And I'm sure there's a lot of folks that I'm not aware that they took advantage of. But no, I, I think that's a fallacy that is put forward by people like me who aren't billionaires, to kind of justify the fact that someone that we think we're better than is a billionaire and we're not. I think it's a byproduct of envy. Uh, But no, I don't think that's the case at all. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Howard's in Babylon. What's your question, Howard? Howard. All right, Howard's busy. 800-848-9222. Jay is in Cincinnati. What's your question, Jay?
3: Hey, Frank, when you're living near uh, the largest city in the country here, isn't it comforting for you to know when you go out of town on vacation, coming back, you can go to the
4: same haunts that you've gone to for years and years? Your favorite bakery, your favorite restaurant, your favorite stores. Isn't it wonderful to know that they'll still be there?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, that Sinatra song with the line, it's nice to go traveling, uh, but it's so much nicer coming home is, is so true. I mean, there was about seven years Where I did not set foot outside of New York City because I felt that I just loved New York City, that I was a part of it and it was a part of me. Now I've tried to broaden my horizons a little bit and recognize the importance and the value of traveling to other places. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure everybody feels this way about their home. Um, At least I know a lot of people do. But I think it's a, a wonderful thing to be home and to know what, uh, you know, wh- what your favorite bagel store is in which neighborhood. Absolutely. 800-848-9222, 9222 Chris is in the Catskills. What's your question, Chris? Good morning, Frank. So if you were going
3: to be a political advisor Nikki Haley, the Republican, and Dean Phillips, the Democrat, for the 2028 election to win
4: their respective parties' primaries, what would your advisement be for each
3: respective candidate? R-
1: Meaning right now, what would they have to do?
3: Yeah, but let's say between now and three and a half
1: to four years from now. Well, look, in the case of Nikki Haley, uh, if she really wanted to be considered for 2028, the first thing that she'd need to do, because it's clear this is where the energy of the Republican Party is at this point, is drop out of the race and enthusiastically endorse Trump and do whatever she can to fundraise for him. Because it's the Trump voters, um, even though no one named Trump may be on the ballot in in 28, it is the Trump voters that will decide, I believe, who the likely nominee is in 20 So I would say that's the first thing that she needs to do. And I think she needs to reevaluate her approach to foreign policy and realize that's the uh, the Republican Party of years past. As far as Dean Phillips, that is, um, you know, that is a much more interesting uh, scenario because he really does check a lot of the a lot of the right boxes. So in terms of what he would do. I think that might be a little bit more difficult to answer. I think if I were advising him, what I would suggest is that um, you, inst- you run for um, governor or, or U.S. Senate in 2026— and um, try and make your way back that way, because I think he's alienated, unfortunately, because I, I like Dean Phillips, he's alienated a lot of the power brokers that he'd need to make a serious uh, presidential run, as far as, uh, as, far as I'm concerned. 800 848 Ina is in Manhattan. What's your question, Ina?
3: Yes, friend. I must commend you. You're a very bright person. You should be a professor in a top university. Oh, boy. Because- thank you Even listening to your your question that you're asking you're always on top and you come out clearly and you give the right answer but I, I called to say how is your son i haven't heard you say anything about him so a long time so how, how is he doing what and that's nice.
1: So Thank you, Ina. I appreciate that. I mean, honestly, I feel like there are some days where I talk way too much about my son. Uh, he's doing he's doing wonderfully. He has a little bit of a case of the uh, terrible twos. I may talk about that a little bit later. He around nap time when he's tired, he gets a little cranky. But on the whole, he's just uh, he's just wonderful. Uh, he's wonderful. I, I could watch him laugh uh, all day long uh, when he gives me a hug or a kiss. It, it makes all the other frustrations of my day melt away. Um, he had a birthday party in school yesterday for one of the other boys in his class, Vito. They had pizza. I always ask him what he does in school, and he tells me the same thing every day. We sang songs. And now, he doesn't necessarily get a detail about what songs they're singing, but he says um, he really enjoys school, and um, I think he's doing wonderfully. I mean, he called into the show last week when he was sick, which was very nice, um, but he's doing great. Uh, very, very blessed, and uh, trust me, I realize that every day, how uh, how lucky I am. 800 848 nine two 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 mordecai is in new jersey hi mordecai
3: great good morning um i just want to piggyback off of that um that report that you had said about the women and um their preferences on height i had also read something that um literally a video of uh people asking girls um get a rich man that, uh, you know, wasn't wasn't faithful versus a poor man that loved you and was faithful, who would you choose? And the girl said, I'd choose the rich man. Really? Um, I haven't seen that. Really, that's I, I, I'm serious. My question to you is, um, is do you think that this is because, uh, well, I really, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, round off the question of an ultimatum, but um, what's your opinion on this? Do you think that's, uh, do you think it's maybe towards like human nature in terms of they want protection or is it, uh, you know?
1: What, what what do you Where do you think that well stems from? so i'll I'll accept as true what you just said, even though i I haven't seen that, but it sounds like you know what you're talking about. I do think it's hardwired by evolution, Mordecai. I think um women are programmed to look for uh, evolutionarily hardwired to look for someone that is going to protect and provide for them and any uh, offspring they may have. Now, sometimes the form of that protection may be physical, uh, someone that's uh, tall and strong or handy or handsome. Other times it may be uh, someone that has some sort of a natural uh, leadership ability. Otherwise, yeah, it may be money uh, because, you know, obviously you realize on every every level that if you are destitute and you can't afford food, it's going to be much harder to survive. We'll continue with your questions on any subject, 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The
0: Other Side of Midnight. side at midnight with Frank Morano.
1: the Beastie Boys. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, uh, answering your questions on any subject with a prize for whomever comes up with the most interesting, most creative question in the next 13 minutes. Let me say hello to George. Hello, George.
3: Hi there. Thank you for taking the call, by sure, the dear. way. Carmine, uh, great, you know. and Thank you. Uh, what's, uh, I have two questions. One relating to Carmine, if you don't mind. Sure, quick. go Carmine's ahead. Carmine's favorite food? Is it Italian or Irish type food? Because uh, I'm just curious about it. Uh... Pizza? Is it pizza? What's his favorite food? And the next question is coming up. Well,
1: he likes pizza. I asked him as I was putting him to bed and having a conversation with him about his day, because I was trying to distract him because he was just annoyed, and he just wanted his mother to hold him. And he said he liked pizza and wanted pizza for his birthday uh, in, in next year, along with a trampoline. But the last time I asked him what food he liked the best, and this is maybe a <laughs> month or two ago, he said pepper jack cheese. So take that for what it's worth.
3: <laughs> And spaghetti, I suppose. Yeah, he li-
1: he does like pasta, but his answer, at least a month ago, was pepper spaghetti. jack cheese. Yeah. What's your other question, real quick, George? All
3: right. The qu- question is this: Do you uh, b- uh, think that uh, someone, a host, average host, working five hours a week, an hour a day, uh, weekdays, uh, is uh, fifty thousand a year, which would be two hundred dollars per hour? Is that a good salary?
1: Uh, For uh, for a radio host? Correct. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the market, it depends on the station, but I think so. I mean, chances are if you're you're only doing an hour a day, you probably are doing something else for money. But what I've seen, actually, in radio these days is a movement, and thanks for the call, George, to not paying hosts anything. And I I don't want to say this too loudly in case people aren't aware of this, but... I've seen more and more deals in more and more markets, even for some national hosts, where they don't pay the host anything. And it's just a total revenue share where you get paid based on how many spots are sold on your show. So, I, um, so yeah, but I, I think that's reasonable. $50,000. dollars 800 848 22 Igor is in New Jersey. Hi, Igor. Hey, greetings, Frank. Hey, Frank, I, I always admire the way you handle
3: joking about you and criticism. But, you know, I went on to the fans and haters uh, uh, Facebook page that you had there and realized there's quite a few people that seemingly
1: don't like you very much. And, and I'm not one of them. You know how much I like. Thank you. Show. Yeah. You send me a lot of great uh, story ideas, which I appreciate. No, I and I appreciate you, Frank, and, and, and the
3: show that you make. So but here's my question for you. You know, I know every listener counts, right? It counts towards. Uh, towards uh, your ratings, Mm -hmm. but do you have any insight as to why people who maybe so vehemently dislike you uh, still manage to, to want to listen to you and then, uh, unfortunately, make a terrible comments on, on on that webpage?
1: Well, you know, I'm reminded of the old joke uh, that Woody Allen uh, used to tell. And I think he tells it actually in the film a- uh, Annie Hall. And I don't think it was... I don't, I don't know that this was his joke originally, but uh, it, he's the first person that I uh, heard of it. But it's about a guy who walks into a psychiatrist's office and says, Hey, Doc, my brother's crazy. He thinks he's... A chicken, and uh, then the doctor says, "Then why don't you turn him in?" And the guy says, "I I, I would, but I need the eggs." And I think that's the way the people that can't stand me feel about this radio show. They think it's totally crazy, totally irrational, totally absurd, totally boring in some cases, but they keep putting themselves through listening to it because they need the eggs. Thank you, Igor. Uh, 800-848-9222. Nate is in New Jersey. Hey, Nate, how are you? Hey,
3: Frank, how are you? Um, My question to you is your
1: top... Three bucket list things that you want to accomplish. Oh, that's a good one. Well, I would, I would love to, I'd love to r- compete in a triathlon. I'd love to write and publish a book without the aid of a ghostwriter, and I'd love to uh, produce a uh, major motion picture—not a documentary, but an actual motion picture. Uh, great question, though, Nate. And there's a lot of other things that I could put on there, but those are the three that most immediately come to mind. I've been biking more, so you know, you bike for a week straight, and you think you can do a, t- a triathlon. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Ray is in New Jersey. Hey, Ray.
3: Hello, Frank. Uh, I would like to ask you, who do you think would might be the first woman president if, if, there, if there's one elected in the next say tenor? 20 years out of today's women politicians.
1: You know, I'm going to answer the first part of your question first before the second part because I tend to think that if there's a first woman president, it's probably and, and I'm basing this based on the age of the, major, the likely major party nominees for president this year. I think it's going to be someone who's a vice president that ascends to the presidency rather than someone that's elected on their own. And it certainly could be Kamala Harris. And again, I don't wish anything uh, bad on, on Joe Biden at all. I, I want him to finish the rest of his term and, you know, live the rest of his life out healthily. But, you know, he does look a bit infirm, honestly. So I could see a scenario while, where he resigns for health reasons. So it could be her. But honestly, I think the safe choice for a vice president at this point, it's not who I want him to pick because I'd love him to pick someone like Tulsi Gabbard, but I'm not that lucky as anybody that's seen me at the craps table can attest. I think, um, the the best choice and the safest choice for Donald Trump for vice president is Katie Britt. And I think if Katie Britt is the vice presidential nominee in 2024 for the Republicans, then uh, she may either ascend to the presidency if Trump can't finish his term because everybody knows, uh, obviously, his age, but also he gets impeached eight, eight days a week. But uh, also, even if they lose in 2024, I think she probably propels herself to the top of the list of potential nominees for 2028. So that's probably if I'm betting um I'm betting one of those two, either Katie Britt or Kamala Harris. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Kevin is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hi Kevin.
4: Hello. Uh Nikki Haley has brought up uh term limits in her last couple speeches. Uh Wondering what you believe in them and on top of believing in them, uh, what you believe they should be set at, uh, two terms, three terms, or uh, people believe that if, if they're elected, they should keep going in there. The thing is, is they keep going in and we keep getting corrupted people by this happening. Yeah. Uh, so I believe in term limits, hundred percent. So
1: I used to be very opposed to term limits, Kevin, and I still regret the need for them, but I've been for them since about uh, the late 1990s. Um, I, I, at first they struck me as very undemocratic, but I've come to be a supporter of them for some of the reasons that you articulated. I'm a big supporter of term limits because everyone says, oh, term limits that if term limits is every election day, if you don't like the job someone's doing, just vote for the other guy. Well, the fact of the matter is the other guy doesn't run if if there's not an open seat so often whether we're talking congress mayor or any other office president's a little different but um so often there's very little competition if somebody that's seen as an easy incumbent doesn't run so i am all for term limits for every just about every paid Office, You know, in New York City, they um, de Blasio put in term limits for the community board, which is a volunteer position, which I'm on. That's a joke because there's a lot of districts that it's tough enough to get anybody to serve on the community board. So to term limit that was just uh, absurd. Um, As far as federal term limits go. I think uh, eighteen years for the u s. Senate is appropriate, and I would go probably as far as eighteen years for the uh, the House of Representatives. As far as any governorship, I would say probably no more than uh, than twelve years. Uh, but that's negotiable. If you want to do twelve years instead of eighteen years for the Senate and sixteen years instead of eighteen years for the House, I'm there as well. As long as there's something. That gives us some sense of, of turnover. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. 800 848 Uh Steve's in Florida. What's your question, Steve?
3: Good morning, Frank. Uh, I know you're a gambler, and I know you like casinos. Are you familiar with Nikki Haley and her husband's involvement with the casino, Two Kings Casino? N-
1: not at all, actually. No.
3: You know, it's, not, it's crazy because it's not on the news. Now, you are familiar with Trump's talking about uh, she might be federally indicted or federally investigated. Have you heard of that?
0: I
1: have heard that, yes.
3: Okay, we'll start reading about Two Kings.
0: Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking at this her interesting husband, now. Like, yeah,
1: this casino is died. apparently under her federal investigation husband. for alleged corruption, and the families of both Haley and Jim Clyburn were we'll apparently given that. shares of uh, a company that leased slot machines to this tribal casino. I'm going to look into this further, Steve. I had not heard of this, and I thank you for bringing it to my attention. 800 848 9222 Bob is in Manorville. What's your question? Bob
0: hey Frank I'm gonna uh, change the subject a little bit uh, I know you're a big sports guy uh, did you ever did you ever notice when you're viewing a, uh, a sporting event like a baseball game or a football game how the cameraman likes to zoom in on a pretty girl okay uh, you know glad he does it uh, my question to you is um, is he being told by the producer to do that or is he the cameraman just a perv and he's doing it on his own or uh, he knows it's a male audience and he's Yeah, you know, he's, try- he's trying to please the audience.
1: Well, I mean, you say he's a perv, right? I mean, I don't see. I, I mean, don't, I
0: don't really mean. A yeah, perv no, I know, I, I, yeah. I know
1: what you mean, but I, I don't think you know um, showing a pretty, a pretty girl um, at a sporting event is necessarily something that's untoward in any way. I don't know, honestly. I used to be a um, a cameraman for a uh, minor league baseball team, and the thing that the, the only thing that we were ever directed to go out of our way to focus on was children. If there were children um, having a good time, smiling laughing playing around we would focus on them or if there was someone of any gender gender um doing something funny but uh, no nobody ever told me but you know you look for people that are photogenic you do male and female and if it's a nice looking couple it's uh that's that's you know sauce for the goose all right those of you that are holding if you want to continue to hold i'll try and get to you but the prize portion of the show is over Uh, Tony, is there a consensus on who had the best question? I like Dominic, but I'm going to go with Nate from New Jersey. Nate from New Jersey. Give us a call. you got a magnet coming to you. For the rest of you, keep asking questions.